Welcome back to the Dirt Show. I missed you for the last four days. If you miss me, you can always get me on Locals every day. I have my three-minute shtick on what's going on um, in the news. Um, the last show was uh, over the top. People just loved seeing all my tchotchkes and all my Declaration of Independence and Lincoln um, and Washington and, and, and Jefferson. People just really really like that. I'm going to read some letters, uh, pro and con, believe it or not, there was some con too. But um, today we're going to talk about a much more controversial issue, much more controversial than the Declaration of Independence, Albert Einstein or, or Abraham Lincoln. Today we're going to talk about what has come to be called Don't Say Gay. The Florida law, laws that are now being considered in a number of other states, which would restrict the teaching of uh, information or even discussion of information about sexuality to kids in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, and that would require age-appropriate discussion of such matters through the end of um, elementary school. Let me be very, very clear about this. Both sides of this debate are dead wrong. Both sides are wrong. Both sides are hypocritical, a plague on both sides of this thing. Why are both sides wrong? Because it's, it's America. It's 2022. Everything is two sides. There's no nuance. There's nothing to discuss. Either you're for don't say gay or you're not for don't say gay. There's no conversation. Uh, the side that doesn't want this statute... Uh, uh, an acted thinks that the people who want it are a bunch of censors and, and, and bigots. The, the other people on the other side think that people who are against the statute are pedophiles and child molesters and uh, groomers. Uh, welcome to America. Can't we have a rational discussion? Both sides are wrong and both sides are right. So let's start with right. Both sides are right. Of course Kindergarten children and first graders and second graders shouldn't be taught about anal sex. Uh, they shouldn't be taught about the intricacies of, or the mechanics of sexual relations of any kind, heterosexual, homosexual. Uh, they shouldn't be taught about transgender. Uh, of course not. Let them, when they go to the bathroom, talk about going for a pee-pee. Yeah, that's what kids should should talk about. No, they shouldn't be talking about erections, and they shouldn't be talking about all the uh, manners by which sex is engaged in by people of various sexual orientations or preferences. But they should be told that their friend who has two mommies, that's, that's fine. The other friend who has two daddies, that's fine. There's no real difference between a kid who has a mommy and a daddy and a kid who has only a mommy or only a daddy or two mommies or two daddies, that's okay to talk about. Can we agree on that? Can we agree that it's wrong to talk about the mechanics of anal sex on the one hand to a kindergarten kid and that it's okay to talk about two mommies and two daddies? Can we agree on that? If we can't agree on that, we can't have a conversation. But I think the vast majority of people watching the show agree with that. Write to me if you don't. If you think there's anything wrong with either of those statements, whether you're right or 
left or in favor of the bill or not in favor of the bill. Let's be clear. There's no such thing as a don't say gay bill. There's no law that says that. It's perfectly okay under the statute for a kindergarten teacher to say, Charlie's mommy and Charlie's other mommy are gay. They are gay. They believe in a certain way of raising children. David's mommy and daddy, they're not gay. Uh, they have another way of dealing with how to re raise children or how to love each other. You know, there's no such thing as a don't say gay statute. So the left is way, way, way exaggerating this, but they do have a point. The right has taken it much too far. So you have the statute in Florida, and now Florida authorities are banning books, burning books, basically saying, no, you can't have books that teach mathematics if they also get into some issues that might be uh, controversial. Look, I, I tend to agree with that. I think math books should be about one-on-one is two, and there's nothing controversial about that. And kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade students, it's fine to teach them arithmetic. It's fine not to have to use the arithmetic to make social points. Uh, I remember a teacher in a linguistics conference a couple of years ago, linguistics, said that every teacher has an obligation in teaching linguistics to make it about Palestine, to make it about the plight of the Palestinians. You cannot walk out of a classroom in linguistics without having made the case for Palestine. Yes, you can. I did it for 50 years. For 50 years, I taught without expressing personal opinions. I taught my students not what to think, but how to think. And if you're doing it in law school, where there are controversial issues like race and gender and uh, you know, rape and homosexuality and, you know, you name it. You can still teach students how to think without becoming a vehicle for propaganda. Surely you can do that in the first grade, the second grade, and the third grade. And, and the best proof of the pudding is that neither side passes the shoe on the other foot test. Both sides just actually want the students to be taught their approach to everything. You think that the right would be complaining? If the mathematics textbook talked about the mathematics of patriotism and how important it is mathematically not to allow illegal immigrants to cross the country, they would love it. They would love it. They wouldn't be protesting. They're protesting because the content of the math books tends to skew left. And the left would be protesting just as vehemently if the content skewed right as it used to when when I was a kid, the content of books always skewed right um, in the sense of patriotism, America first, uh, don't criticize America for ever, anything, it never did anything wrong. Um, you know, but those were the ages where people really believed America did nothing wrong and they didn't do anything wrong in the Second World War or the First World War. Uh, let's not get into the Spanish-American War, some of the other wars, but you know, when you learned history in my day, the Revolutionary War, we were on the right side. The War of 1812, we were on the right side. The Civil War, the North was on the right side. You skip over the Spanish-American War. You get to the First World War, we were on the right side. You get to the Second World War, we were on the right side. That was the end. We weren't yet into Korea, Vietnam, all of that 
stuff which is very, very controversial. The point is nobody is telling you the truth when they tell you they want objectivity and neutrality. They all want their side to be taught, and they only object when the other side is taught. And for me, the idea is neither side should, should be taught. Um, do you want to teach students about how to be good people and good citizens? Have their parents teach them that? Have the churches uh, teach them that? Have the ethical culture societies teach them that? Have the parents decide in after-school programs? I firmly believe that school should be about teaching students how to think, not how to be better Americans, how to be better people, because we don't agree about that. And public schools are just that. They're public schools. They're for everybody. They're not for one side to propagandize the other side. So, you know, I think this is a phony debate. Everybody talks about freedom of speech. Everybody talks about neutral principles. Everybody talks about no censorship, but nobody really believes it. Everybody just wants their side to be taught and doesn't want the other side uh, to be taught. Uh, there are areas that I think we can, however, agree on. I think we can agree that mathematics should stick to mathematics and it shouldn't be used as a vehicle for social indoctrination on, on either side. I think that's true of a lot of uh, subjects, um, you know, teaching English, teaching Spanish, teaching any of these subjects that require an analysis, uh, memorization, knowledge of specific content can be taught without reference to the ideological wars that are going on. Let the ideological wars go out on in the churches, in the media, at home, but not in the public schools. Hey, if you want your kids to be taught ideology, there's an option. Uh, you can send them to religious schools, and not everybody can afford religious schools, but most religious schools do have scholarship uh, programs, and poor people generally aren't turned away from religious schools. You want your kid to be, you know, uh, taught Catholic doctrine, send them to a Catholic school. You want them to be taught Jewish doctrine, send them to a Jewish school. Send them to a, an evangelical school. You know, the great debates about even religion. I mean, if you say send them to a Jewish school, what kind of a Jewish school? You can get uh, a Jewish school for every ideology, every faith that just recently read in the New York Times uh, an op-ed over Easter just yesterday in which the writer in the Times says, look, you cannot be a good Christian unless you believe that as a matter of historical fact, Jesus picked up the rock of the tomb under which he was buried, pushed it aside, got up after being dead three days, and was greeted by his people. Unless you believe that's a historical fact, you can't be a Christian. There are Jews who say, unless you believe that Moses literally went up to the mountain, was given two tablets, broke the tablets, came down again, then was given the Torah, and every word of the Torah was written by God, unless you believe in that, you can't be a Jew. Maimonides, the great Jewish philosopher, says, unless you believe that the Messiah is going to come, unless you believe that there is a world to come after you die, you can't be a good Jew. Well, everybody's entitled to define what makes a good Christian, a good Jew, a good Muslim, unless you believe that Muhammad went up to heaven on his horse. Uh, you can't be a good uh, Muslim. Well, in America, nobody tests you as to whether you're a good Jew, a good Christian, or a good Muslim, except 
a club you want to belong to, and it's a voluntary club. It's called synagogue, mosque, or church. Nobody makes you go. Nobody can stop you from going. That's America. Thank goodness for that. Uh, thank God that in America you can be an atheist uh, or an agnostic or a dissident or somebody who would have been burned at the stake in other countries just a couple of hundred years ago, not, not that long ago. People were still being killed for their uh, dissident re religious views, not, not in America. George Washington said in his great letter to the uh, Jews of uh, Newport, Rhode Island, uh, uh, here in this country, bigotry has no sanction. Everybody is free uh, to sit under their own palm tree and uh, decide what religion to practice or, or not to, to practice. And, you know, it's been the great, great thing about America, the great thing about this country is that they're not supposed to be religious litmus tests or ideological litmus tests, but uh, we've devolved since the time of Washington and, and Jefferson. Now there are litmus tests for, for everything. You know, the government decides, the school decides, uh, whether you're a good this or a good that. I, I don't believe in that stuff. Um, school should be a place where you learn how to think. It should be a safe space, not for ideas necessarily, but for physical physical safety and everything should be age appropriate but i'm i don't trust the government and it's so interesting that you would think conservatives wouldn't trust the government to set out curriculum and, and tell us what we can teach and what we can't teach and yet conservatives because they're in control of school boards in florida and texas and other places they're saying oh we want more government not less government we want more government. We want the government telling us what we can teach. What a bunch of hypocrites. You're not conservatives. If you want the government in the classroom, if you want government in the bedroom, if you want government in the bathroom, if you want government in the hospital room, what kind of conservative are you if you won't let a person die in peace in a hospital if he, she, and the family want to end life, but you say, no, 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 no. You have no right to die. God is going to tell you whether you can die. The government should tell you whether you should live or die. The government should tell you whether you should have a child or not have a child, whether to use birth control or not have birth. Those are what conservatives are saying these days. They're not conservatives. They're statists and liberals. Sorry for the technical glitch, but I was just about finished with my rant on the hypocrisy of both conservatives and radicals when it comes to what should be taught in the schools. Um, it was Karl Marx who said, you know, give me the child that's six years old. You can have him for the rest of your life. I will indoctrinate that child uh, from six years old on. And I think both sides are trying to do that. They're trying to use uh, math to uh, teach um, um, ideology, and that's just not not right, not acceptable. But um, but we can't go so far as to put the state in the classroom the way the state has gotten into the bedroom and the bathroom. And as I said before, this is not the conservative way. This is the statist way. So let's be true to uh, principles. Um, if you're a conservative who favors small government, less government intrusion, then stop being hypocritical when it comes to things you uh, want the government to compel, uh, right to life and uh, not allowing people to choose when they're going to die and all, all of those things that are very personal, personal decisions. So uh, you've heard my views on that. Um, I want to hear your views.
on that. Now let me uh, turn to some of the letters. Most of the letters really liked uh, very much um, the tour of, of my um, um, bathroom, uh, guest bathroom with all the president's signatures and Albert Einstein and um, everything else. Um, uh, here's what a few people say. Great show, Professor. Thank you for your tour of your beautiful house and home. It's just a small apartment. And some of the incredible items in your collection. Uh, your house is like a museum, and that bathroom so amazing. I don't think I would have been able to do my business in there. Very enjoyable and fascinating show. As I told you, sometimes people have come into the guest bathroom and haven't left for a long uh, a time. Um, uh, one says, it's great that you, that you have a mysterious mathematical formula written by Einstein himself. Uh, Dershowitz says, so far, none of his physics friends, which no doubt includes some first-rate world-class scientists, know what the formula means. Wouldn't it be great if this formula hanging now only on a wall next to Dershowitz's spare bathroom revealed an unknown but critically important insight? Yeah, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be great? I enjoyed your tour. Your home is unique. I'm assuming the president's signatures are in the bathroom because you're in a New York City apartment and there's no room. It's absolutely true. Uh, and, and what do you like about Jeremy Mentham? Maybe you can educate us on that someday. Thanks for sharing your perspectives. Well, I like Jeremy Bentham in the sense that he reacted to kind of natural law and there is a right answer that comes from heaven. And he basically said, look, whatever is best for humankind in general should be the order of the way things are, are mandated, the greatest happiness for the greatest number. It's an imperfect uh, formula, but it just introduces a kind of uh, secular pragmatism into philosophical discussion. So I'm proud to have a letter from Jeremy Bentham and a, a letter from John Stuart Mill, who was a great um, hero of mine because of his views on women. He was one of the first feminists and his views on uh, freedom of speech and the right to swing your fists ends at the tip of my nose. So, so I like that very much. And most of you liked it. But of course, here's uh, Andy Probably the most boring show of yours ever. Well, you got the right to be bored. And then here's somebody who says, you're such a wise and great man. It boggles my mind that you could have voted for Joe Biden. Well, sometimes you vote because of who the alternatives are. Would I have picked Joe Biden to be my ideal president? I'm not sure I would have picked any of the most recent presidents to be my ideal. I didn't vote for people because um, I, I thought they were, um, you know, beyond a reproach. Look, I, I had a lot of trouble even voting for Bill Clinton, who became a friend uh, the first time around, because I didn't like the way he had handled um, um, some of the primary issues, particularly um, involving uh, Mario Cuomo, uh, who he made some unfortunate comments about and and, but, you know, you vote for people based on the totality of the circumstances, the platform of the party, and everything else. <clears throat> Next question. I was wondering where you do your writing. Can you tell us about your podcast equipment? Well, it's not perfect, my podcast equipment. My son is perfect. He works everything out well as best as he can. None of it's his fault. But the equipment isn't perfect. Equipment in general is not perfect. A friend of mine just got a Tesla. And she hates it because she said it's not a car. It's a computer on wheels, and whatever goes wrong with the computer goes wrong with the car, and she has to pull it over and reboot, reboot it all the time. I, would, I couldn't drive a Tesla. I, for me, 
if I could still go downstairs and get into a horse and buggy and just go, whoa, 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 you know, I'd be a lot happier. Me and, and mechanical things, uh, particularly computer things, don't, don't work very well together. Uh, where do I do my writing? <laughs> Wherever there's a pad and a piece of paper. My wife doesn't like the fact that I don't stick to my office. I like to, you know, if the sun is out, I like to sit in the dining room table and have the sun over my shoulder. Uh, if I feel like writing in the middle of the night, I have a pad next to my bed. I write all the time. I write about between two and 3,000 words a day. Not, not every day, two or 3,000 words. But I don't drink my glass of wine until I've gotten 2,000 words written. I've written a lot of words. Um, uh, somebody said to me, I don't know if it's true or not, that I wrote more than any Harvard professor in the history of Harvard, which started in, what, 1630. Not better, necessarily, but more. Uh, whether that was intended as a compliment or an insult, I don't know. But I write like mad. I've written all my life, and um, I've been writing an average of a couple of books a year. And so I'm on my 50th. No, I'm actually finished my 50th. I'm on my 51st now, and I work today on it and did a chapter on... Uh, uh, terrorist prevention. I'm writing a book called The Preventive State, uh, How to Avoid Cataclysmic Events Without Giving the Government Too Much Power. So that's, that's my next book, but every day. Every day I write, and I, I love writing. Um, here's one that I really want to comment on. I see you're working for the defendants from January 6th. Changes my opinion on you. No, no, it shouldn't. You know, today I'm working on some one January 6th defendant. Tomorrow I could be working on a Black Lives Matter um, defendant. I don't pick my clients based on you liking me or thinking well of me. I pick my clients based on principles, based on the Constitution. So sometimes you're going to like my clients. You like January 6th. You wouldn't like Black Lives Matter. Other people would love me defending Black Lives Matter but they wouldn't like me defending January 6th. Well, too bad. I'm going to keep doing both. I'm going to do it based on principle and not based on partisan or ideological politics. Okay, Professor Dershowitz, I really enjoy the show. I'm a conservative Republican and you're a liberal Democrat, but I greatly appreciate the way you fairly cover polarizing topics. Though I do not always agree with your views, I respect them as you always put in great thought in explaining your position. Sadly, Respectful, thoughtful point counterpoint discussions are rarely civil these days. Yeah, boy, do I agree with that. That said, my question to you is about public discord. How do you think Americans can best get back to respecting each other and different political opinions without all the hatred? Um, I'm pessimistic. I'm pessimistic. Um, you know, when I was a younger man, I would always be on the Bill Buckley show and other conservative shows, and I would be the liberal and he'd be the conservative. And we would debate back and forth, my friends in the vineyard. We would sit on the porch and we would argue about every aspect of politics. Today, if you don't agree with somebody, you don't talk to them. You don't want any dialogue. The last thing you want is to change your mind because largely you don't have a mind. Largely you have a fixed set of ideological uh, constants and you don't want it to be disrupted by nuance, by, on the one hand, on the other hand, by corrections. 
you're very comfortable with your ideology, so why do you need free speech? Why do you need due process? And I'm not sure we're ever going to get over that. I'm not sure we're ever going to get back to a time when Lincoln could debate Douglas and uh, Jefferson could debate Adams and Roosevelt, um, you know, could debate uh, uh, whoever he debated uh, during the 1930s and the 1940s. Um, I don't know whether we're going to be able to get back to that. Look, uh, my friend and somebody I learned a lot from, Jim St. Clair, was a great lawyer in Boston, and uh, he defended Richard Nixon, and I hated Richard Nixon, and I thought he should be impeached, uh, but I got along with Jim. We were friends. Uh, we disagreed. We argued about things. Uh, today, you know, I defended President Trump, and people won't talk to me. Larry David won't engage with me because he saw me put my arm around Mike Pompeo and even my explanation to him. He was my former student. I'm proud of him. He helped bring about the Abraham Accords. He helped bring about peace in the Middle East. Um, no, that's not good enough. Uh, you're disgusting. He's disgusting. You're all disgusting. You know, that kind of name calling is what's going on. Okay, last, last point. Interesting one. Um, it says... Professor, here's a fun fact. The only two countries that declared unilateral independence from Britain are the United States in 1776 and Rhodesia in 1965. No, I think there was another country. I think Israel in 1948 declared uh, it was an independent state. It was no longer going to be part of the UN mandate by which Britain exercised control uh, over uh, what was then called the Palestinian Mandate and was then declared to be Eretz Yisrael, the uh, Medinat Yisrael, the nation of, of Israel. So I think Israel also um, unilaterally declared independence. Um, you know, both the United States and, uh, and Israel and Rhodesia and, and other countries uh, won their independence, uh, first by the pen, Declaration of Independence uh, documents, and then unfortunately had to defend their independence by the sword. Um, we are now seeing another country, uh, Ukraine, seeking to defend its independence by the sword. Um, it's a different sort of independence because it's not part of Russia, at least according to the world. Russia thinks it's part of, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting. When I was growing up, we called it the Ukraine, which has changed now because the Ukraine sounds like, you know, the Bronx or the West Coast or, you know, the East Coast, part of something bigger. But when you take the the off, it's just Ukraine, which is an independent country, but it's fighting for its independence against an aggressive country that is trying to deprive it of its uh, independence. So, Keep writing me, please, and don't worry about the technical glitches. Uh, life's full of technical glitches. Um, and uh, let's keep discussing. Let's keep talking about very difficult, very controversial, and very divisive issues. And let's talk about them sensibly, in a nonpartisan, and a rational way. That's what we do on The Dirt Show. There's no censorship of any views. You have your views. You express them. You put them in the comment section. I'll read them and I'll respond to them. That's what we do on The Dirt Show. See you tomorrow.